Hi, Marked listeners. We're planning some exciting things for the future of the podcast, so we want to hear from you. Take our fun survey and give us all of your opinions about Marked to enter for a chance to win a Lifeway Women backpack filled with Bible studies and other great resources for diving into God's Word. To take the survey, go to lifewaywomen.com slash podcast or click on the link in our show notes. We can't wait to hear from you. the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Pray is a seven-session Bible study from Bible teachers Kelly Minter, Jackie Hill-Perry, Jen Wilkin, Jennifer Rothschild, Jada Edwards, and Christy McClellan. Each week, you'll study prayers in the Bible that will inspire your own, learning that God welcomes all you have to say to Him, your praise, lament, thanksgiving, and intercession. Whether you choose to study when you pray on your own or with a group, explore the When You Pray journal, tote, and experience box to enhance your experience. Learn more at lifeway.com slash when you pray. Hello and welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am Elizabeth Heineman and I am here with my co-host Kelly King. Hey Kelly. Hey Elizabeth. We are going to start something really fun today. We are going to have three different podcasts featuring our authors who all wrote for our new Bible study, When You Pray. And so today, welcome to the podcast, Jackie Hill Perry and Jen Wilkin. Hey guys. Thanks for having me, us, everybody. Everybody. (laughs) Yes. Everybody. Yeah. We, um, so both of y'all have been on the podcast before. So just give us little updates about who you are, what's going on in your life, what new things you've got coming out with Lifeway or without Lifeway, all the things. Jackie, you go first. Jackie. Okay. Uh, I'm Jackie. Um, I love Jesus. I have four kids, a husband of almost nine years. Um, I write books, preach the Bible, and am trying to potty train people. That's the worst. (laughs) Jen, I don't know how you felt about that, but that was not my favorite season I was like, look, if you guys want to wear a diaper to kindergarten, that's great. You let me know. (laughs) Nobody did. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, I'm Jen and I do a lot of the same things that Jackie does. I have four kids and uh, they're grown. I actually have 2.7 grandkids at this point. Maybe by the time you guys hear this, I'll have the third one here. And um, I am currently working on a study of Revelation that's going to come out from Lifeway. What could go wrong, guys? And then I'm also about to have a book come out with my colleague, JT English, um, called You Are a Theologian. That's meant to be an introductory level conversation around Christian doctrine. And you are also one of our teachers for Lifeway Women Academy. Yes, I am. Which women can sign up yes. for <laughs> at lifeway.com slash academy. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited about that. And it's been really fun to see the response to it as well. 
I, I feel and Jackie, you didn't get a chance to mention Glory events. You want to say something about Glory? Literally forgot. Um, <laughs> I, have, <laughs> uh, I have an event with Glory that's in partnership with Lifeway, um, where the aim is really just to make it a women's conference that's about God more than it is about you, um, with a, a, a strong emphasis on the nature of God. Um, and all the things, you know, I think sometimes women conferences can have a strong bent and emphasis towards really flowery, flowery, human centric kind of things. That's not what glory is for. It, it's legitimately about uh, Jesus. So we have nine events uh, this year and you can go to my website or go to Lifeway to find out more. Yeah, we'll have links to everything in the show notes, too. But we're excited about those. So which sessions did each of you write for the When You Pray Bible study? Jen, which one? We'll yeah, start with I, you. Tell us a little bit yeah, about I it. I wrote a session that was on adoration. And um, I took, on purpose, kind of keying in on what Jackie was just saying about her glory events, I used Psalm 139 on purpose for that particular section of the study because in women's circles, more probably than elsewhere, we have taken Psalm 139 and in many cases made it about our preciousness instead of about um, a transcendent God because we focus in on the passages that start talking about us as we relate to God. Uh, But we don't always meditate on the other portions of that psalm that are showing us that God is omniscient, omnipotent, uh, omnipresent, sovereign, self-existent, all of the things that we can see in that psalm in particular. So I wanted to use that as a jumping off point for reminding people that if the only purpose of prayer was to adore God, that would be reason enough to pray without ceasing. Yeah. Yeah, I took a, I think I'm talking about petition and I use the narrative in 1 Samuel 1 with Hannah um, and how, you know, Hannah's dealing with this this barrenness and uh, she's being provoked by the other woman in her home and how she decides to seek God about it and ask him uh, to to bless her with a son. And I, I think the the thing about that text that has always gotten to me is that at the same time that she petitions God, she also makes a vow to give God back the thing that she's asking him for. Uh, and so I think that that really um, should be all of our hearts is that we have an eye for surrendering the thing that we're asking God to give us. Yeah. I, there is something really special about Hannah and just the way that she goes so like just so boldly before God. And her, just her anguish about that. Um, it's interesting. I, I've done a little bit, when I look at Nehemiah and you look at how he feels about the, the wall being destroyed, there's a, there's a similar term that Hannah uses about just feeling almost violated. Like she's just been, um, she's so distraught. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a very graphic uh, description of how she's just pouring out. So I think, I think that goes to, when we talk about petition, let's let's stop there for a minute. Um, kind of define that, Jackie, a little bit. And then Jen, kind of, I think people hear praise, hear adoration, but maybe they don't really understand it. So Jackie, kind of define petition for our listeners. Yeah, it's it's a request. It's it's asking God for uh, something. I think uh, Hannah even uses it. She uses that direct word. Let me pull it up because that would be helpful. Um, in First Samuel, 
one, when she is thanking God after receiving Samuel in verse 27, she says, for this child, I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him, granted me my request. And so it's making a request for God. Usually we request things of God, uh, which means that we have a neediness. There is something that he has to provide that we cannot provide for ourselves. Obviously we try to provide for ourselves like Sarai did. Hey, here's Hagar. I'm not going to petition God. Um, but yeah, that's ultimately what it is. Yeah. What, so with adoration, I think one of the common uh, misunderstandings around adoration is that it's telling God what he's done for us. Um, and that's actually, that's Thanksgiving. Um, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, it opens with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name is holy, and God's holiness is the sum total of all of his attributes. And so, uh, or the overarching attribute of God out of which the others can be understood. And so one of the things that I've, I've seen over and over again is that we tend to have an atrophied vocabulary around the words that we can use to offer God adoration. But adoration is telling God what is true about him. It's not telling him what he did for you. What he does for you is an overflow of who he is. Um, but I, the way that I, I have often thought about this is when a small child um, begins telling a, a parent what they love about them. So like write, writes a birthday card. They do tend to write it saying, you make me lunch or you make sure that my clothes are clean. Um, but you wouldn't expect that a 30-year-old adult child would write that kind of a birthday card to a parent. You would expect that they would say, you're someone who is consistent. You always show up. You know, you're someone who um, keeps your word. You're someone who is compassionate. That's the sign of a mature expression of of, of, of adoration to someone. And so when we think about the way that we pray, I do think it's important for us to ask, am I praying more like a kindergartner or more like a 30 year old? Now, depending on where you are in your faith, the Lord is not sitting in throne between the cherubim, judging the content of your prayers uh, on a sliding scale. But I think it is worth asking, have my, has my prayer language, has my language of adoration grown as my, um, my faith, journey has progressed? Am I, am I more articulate in telling God who he is uh, in a way that is accurate to him and also instructive to me? Uh, because obviously that, that function of adoration in prayer is to begin a prayer rightly oriented to who it is that you're addressing. It's interesting because I have seen that happen when you tell women, okay, let's spend some time praising God for who he is. And they go, they go back to Thanksgiving. And so you almost have to define it. Like you really sometimes have to teach it a little bit. And that was a great illustration about just how, you know, how do we do that? That's awesome. And I think a lot of times we think of both petition and adoration as being like these separate parts of the prayer. Like um, we have all these different acronyms for different parts of prayer, but we always kind of separate those. But I find that a lot of times they lead into one another because as you're praising God or as you're adoring God for being um, infinite, then we also are like, he cares about the little things and the big things because he's infinite. He cares about all of it. And so that leads us to petition and vice versa. Like petition can lead us to where we're telling God who he is and what, kind of what he's Ham done. did, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how how have y'all found that those two have interlaced in your own prayer life and then maybe in the scripture in places that you've seen in scripture in Hannah's life we yeah, see it I think for sure. with Hannah in, in the text, you know, she goes to the temple 
she petitions God and it says that she walks away and she was no longer sad. Obviously before that you have this kind of, um, this uh, explanation of how Elkanah went and sacrificed at the temple, came home for them to worship and eat over and how she would not eat. Right. And, and I think some people can assume, Oh, she's just not hungry, but it, it really is. She can't celebrate. She can't participate in this celebratory worshipful meal um, with her family because of her vexation, because of uh, the struggle that she's going through with her barrenness. And so for her to petition God, and no longer be sad after petitioning him before receiving the answer to the prayer, I think is a part of adoration, is a part of praise, is that obviously she had become content with God himself to a certain degree. Um, and that's why I love the Lord's Prayer and how it, it begins with God. You know, before we do the asking, we're talking about him. And I've seen how in my own life just beginning my prayers with God himself actually influences my faith and the way I pray. Right. So, Hey, like with, with Hannah, for example, how she begins with Lord of hosts, like that already kind of frames her prayer in a sense, because it's like, if he is the Lord of hosts, then surely he can answer this request. Right. And so I don't know. I think they all just kind of dance, dance with each other. Yeah. Yeah, I think when you start with who God is and you have a vision of God high and lifted up, it means that you reap two benefits of that. One is that you approach the throne with confidence. You know that he can do whatever he wants to do. And you also approach the throne with humility because you recognize the distance between yourself and him. It's not a matter of degree that it's actually infinite, which then makes it amazing that you're actually able to address him in the first place, right? Able and invited to. Uh, but I think sometimes we can we can sort of grow dull in our appreciation of that. We've been told to pray. We've been told to ask God for whatever we want. And we instead see him, you know, rather than seeing, seeing that as a privilege to be connected to the God of the universe, um, it's more like being connected to the great um, vending machine in the sky. And so remembering the one of whom we make our request makes us mindful of who we are and mindful of the privilege that it is and also the great confidence that we can have when we do make our request known to him. In response to Jen, I'm just going to put this out. I, I, I wonder if even having kind of an insufficient understanding of the nature of God in the scriptures, if that actually is influencing the way people adore or the way people petition you like I guess I'm throwing that out for y'all to speak to it yeah I think so I was recently having a conversation with people about we were actually reading through Jen's book um in his image and we were reading or no none like him and we're she reading about his, so many I know I know <laughs> <laughs> and we were reading about his infiniteness um, and how he is infinite. And and that did bring to mind my prayers and not necessarily the like big things. But I think I often am like, oh, I don't want to bother God with this little thing that when he's got so much else going on like, and he needs to be with these people who are experiencing true like pain and suffering. Whereas I'm just like, it would be great if this happened. But, you know, like it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. But God is infinite and he's able to care both about the little things and the big things. And he cares about the sparrows, you know, and the kings of the universe. And so that is one way that it's affected my 
prayer life. And I realized like, as I was reading through that, I was like, I don't, I wouldn't have argued with you that God is infinite, but I was like, I don't know that I fully like internalize that in the way that I pray. I think too, even just when I think about intercession and I'm praying for others that sometimes there is a point in me that I think I have some control over that situation and I don't. And so it goes back to who is God and do I trust God? Do, do I trust him with that person and with that need and that he knows best, even when I can't see it? And that's especially with your children, too. That's that's one of those. Um, man, just OK, God, um, you're sovereign. Mm, do I really do yeah. believe it? Well, and I think even just with our with our um, our sort of Christian subculture conception of what a prayer journal is. Um, a prayer journal is something where I list the things that I've asked God for, and then I check them off when he answers. And the more checks that I get in my prayer journal, the better I'm doing, right? Or the more effectively I'm praying, which makes me think that the way that we primarily think about petition is I ask God for something specific and either he does it or he doesn't do it. Um, and I wonder how different our prayer journals would look if our requests were shaped more by a sense of a transcendent God to where many of the things that we're requesting have more to do with character formation than circumstance adjustment. Um, because character formation requests are ones that you don't get to check off in this lifetime. <laughs> like you may re- look back at them and be encouraged that you asked him to make you more slow to speak 10 years ago. And now he has been doing that work in you and you can see it. But no one's ever going to check off. Yep. Now I'm patient or yep. Now I am, um, you know, totally always putting others before myself. So I do think it helps us to be oriented to even the nature of requesting um, to where we understand it to be every bit as much about God, God welcomes our specific requests. I mean, I think that's, you know, the example that Jackie chose even for her week in the study um, is illustrative of that. Um, but in a, in a culture that knows that Amazon um, also grants our specific requests, I think it's good for us to be reminded that requesting is about much more and maybe even primarily uh, more about character formation um, than it is about just, um, I'm going to ask him for this. And if he says yes, then I'm, I'm doing great. Or that we think our prayer life is better or that we have achieved a level. level of, yeah, unlock the next level. That, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, let's unlock that next level of prayer life for sure. Because I, I do think that is, I meet women all the time who are just, and, and even last week I was doing some assessments and every single one of them would have said, I want to do better in my prayer life. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? You know, what does that mean to do better in your prayer life? Is it? time that you spend with the Lord? Is it building intimacy with the Lord? Um, how would y'all address that when people say that they want to have a, a more rich prayer life? Huh. Yeah, I, I, I think for me, um, better is super, one, subjective, and it just changes according to seasons, right? And so when I was single, I was able and free to pray a lot, didn't choose to, <laughs> but I was able. <laughs> and now, you know, having four children between the ages of eight and one, prayer is sporadic. Prayer is not as deep as I would often like it to be or as consistent as I would often like it to be. But I'm still trying according to my own conviction of what the Lord is desiring of me, right? And so I know 
within me, I could be praying, but I'm on TikTok. I could be doing this. So I have to discern within myself and in conversation with my husband or in conversation with my mentors, like how much of my time is being wasted with lesser things rather than prayer. And so I guess better is how is the Lord leading you um, in that? But that's that's just me. Yeah, I like the the thing about life stage, too, that you mentioned, because I think it also relates to just circumstance Um, when we're in a crisis we're probably going to do a lot of requesting and not much adoration. And I don't think we have to give people a hard time for that. I think that, but I do think when we're mindful of that being what typically happens, then we'll know that when we're not in crisis, it's even more important than ever to have a good habit of praying, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and um, supplication. That all of those elements would be things that we are building muscle memory around um, because what we repeat in times of ease, we will recall in times of hardship. Because the irony of it is, is when you're in a time of hardship, the confet that the requesting thing is top of mind, but in some cases, maybe what you would be ministered to most is by remembering who God is. Um, and so, I, but I do, I, I don't, I never want to give anyone a hard time who's in the midst of trial. If the only words they can get out are God help, like, yes. And, and, you know, and then that's another time where the rest of us can all step in an intercession too. Yeah. Okay. We talk about praying the Psalms. And Jen, you use Psalm 139. Some Psalms start out really lovely and some of them end with destroy my enemies (laughs) (laughs) or, you know, eat worms or whatever it might be. Psalm 139 says, yeah, if God, if you would only kill the wicked. Oh, men of blood depart from me. Do I not hate them with complete hatred? Yeah. Yeah. How, how do we deal with those songs? We just can skip those parts because they're hard to, they're hard <laughs> to thematically decorate for at the women's retreat. So, um, right. no, but it is fascinating to me how often I have heard Psalm 139 taught and that, that part is just left out. Uh, but instead, we should ask, how is David's response in that moment the most logical response to what he has just said? right? Psalms follow a pattern. There's a reason that they're placed. And there's a reason he doesn't open with, oh, men of blood depart from me. I mean, there are some others where he does actually, but um, <laughs> but basically his response to a vision of God high and lifted up is to hate whatever sets itself in opposition to that beatific vision. And um, so we look at that and we're like, well, does that mean I'm supposed to like hate the person who hates God? But we have Jesus' command in the New Testament that we're to love our enemies, uh, our, our human enemies. And so then how do we read this? Well, you can always take an imprecatory psalm, um, one that's talking about hatred and bloodshed, and you can transpose it into a spiritual understanding um, that we are to make holy war against anything in our own hearts that would set itself in opposition to the will of God. And so we know that even in the life of the believer, we still have besetting sins, that we still have things that have a foothold in our own hearts, things that we still have a tendency to believe are better for us than what God would say is better for us. And so when we ask God to help us to hate what he hates, um, then we begin to make that movement. Um, You will never turn from a sin that you don't hate. And so if there's a sin that we're still giving into, it means that we haven't learned to see it for its um, 
for its hatefulness. And so that that can be our request that comes out. I mean, his request of God is make me hate what you hate. And I think that's a really good request for all of us to make of the Lord. That's good. Yeah, I I said this, I've said this before, and maybe just on the next podcast episode, but I read through the Psalms with some college students and we would be in the coffee shop when we were at the ones that were the like destroy my enemies, send dogs to rip them from limb to limb. And I was always like, why are we, why are these the ones we read in public? I don't understand how that works out, but every time it did. Um, but yeah. Okay. So we always ask on this podcast, what has marked you? Cause it's the Mark podcast, but we wanted to shift this a little bit because this, these episodes focus on prayer. And so how has prayer marked each of you in your walks with Christ? And Jackie, we can start with you. Oh, man. I've had so many different seasons. Um, I I think I'm in a really unique season now where earlier I I, I spoke about, you know, feeling or kind of discerning what the Lord wants you to do in your particular prayer life. And in the last couple of months, I was really sensing and that the Lord wanted me to start waking up early to pray. And before that was actually kind of, that would have been a silly suggestion because I had children that were waking up at all hours, hours of the night. The Lord wants us to be kind of alert, right? And so now since all of them for the most part sleep through the night, it seems as if God is like, okay, now, you know, start getting up. And what was frustrating about it is one, I, I like my sleep. I don't want the Lord to have my morning in that way. Um, but it also reminded me, do you really believe you are dependent or not? Do, do you, do you really believe that you need God, that you need daily bread, that you can read and do all the things and do all the study, but you are not sufficient within yourself to really go about the tasks that God has called you to. And so I think in this season, what prayer has done for me is that it's humbled me and it's put me in this position where I am recognizing my neediness again but also his goodness because he's been meeting me in a really unique way. And by meeting me, I mean me being more joyful, uh, being able to have conversations with people and actually think about them (laughs) and how to serve them. Um, Being more, uh, more of an intercessor for lack of better words for people. And so because I'm praying so consistently, I actually have more time to pray for others. It's weird. It's crazy. And so (laughs) I, I think prayer is marking me in a really unique way uh, nowadays. And I go to sleep earlier because I don't have I don't have a choice. <laughs> it's like around six. It's like this this five thirty wake up time is killing me. Well, so. now I'm going to pray the prayer of faith that God does not ask me to rise up early in the morning because I'm not into that. Uh, yes. I I would agree um, with what Jackie is saying. I think that I'm more aware than ever of how prayer is. It's not just like therapeutic, which I think is a lot of the way that it can be discussed, but that is it an actual means for me to love God and love neighbor. Like it is a way to fulfill the great commandment, uh, which can make it sound utilitarian. And so in the same sense that it's not therapeutic, it is also not utilitarian. It is about relationship with God, but it is not just about relationship with God because it impacts my relationship with others when I'm um, when I'm obedient to do it. What I can see is that I had times in my life before technology invaded every corner of our lives where, uh, in particular, 
being in the car, driving in the car was a place where my mind would just open up and I was in a, a better state of mind to enter into prayer almost like intuitively instead of having to set aside a particular time to pray. And so um, recognizing that I have fewer and fewer of those spaces now, some of it just because of creep and some of it by choice where I've just made some choices. I'm more determined than I used to be to specifically when I'm in the car, not play music, not listen to a podcast, not have anything that's going to cut into what historically has been a very easy place for, for me to enter into prayer. And so like, I'm all for making things as easy as possible. And so if you have, I would just say to those listening, if there has been a place in the past that has been an intuitive or a simple way to you embrace a regular rhythm of prayer, think about how you can either hold on to it or restore it if it has sort of fallen aside for for, because of the incremental um, encroachment of some other activity or um, noise. Yeah. Can I speak to that really briefly? Because it's what she said is 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 a major key. Um, because when I was um, being mentored by in Chicago by my pastor's wife, she said something so simple to me that has stuck with me. Like it wasn't profound at all. But she was like, yeah, that's how she talks. Yeah. Every time I brush my teeth, I pray for my husband because I know I'm going to do it every day. I was like, oh, man, like that's that's so simple. But so how do you integrate prayer into particular rhythms that you will always do is basically, you know, one way to mark prayer in your life. Mm, That is good. And an easy way to like form that new habit if you don't already have a habit. Unless you you are, if you don't brush your teeth, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) You're probably not a prayer. You need to, you need to get several new habits (laughs) if you don't brush your teeth. Yeah, that might be another conversation for another day for sure. Well, this has been so good. I hate to like finish it up, but I know we're running low on time. So thank you all so much for joining us today. And I think this will be a huge encouragement. We really do want our listeners to check out when you pray. Um, you're going to hear some from, you know, some of our best teachers just really help you through different areas of prayer. So thanks, Jen. Thanks, Jackie, for being yeah, that. Thanks here. for having us on. All right. All right. Well, listeners, we'll see you back next week and you'll get to hear part two of our conversations. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heineman. Use the hashtag MarkedPodcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifewayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time. Home should be a place where we feel at peace, where we can be ourselves, where we feel loved. For a lot of us, though, home is a place of heartache, hurt, and loneliness. As believers, Christ promises us an eternal home. But what does that actually look like? And how do we deal with our current homesickness? I recently wrote a Bible study called Come Home for Women, and I'm so excited that Come Home will also be available for teen girls. 
It's perfect for small groups, helps girls answer important questions, and gives us a richer understanding of what kind of home God's building for us. The release date for Come Home for teen girls is August 1st, but you can pre-order it now at lifeway.com slash come home. Don't miss out on this opportunity to help girls belong and be loved. Again, you can pre-order it today at lifeway.com slash come home.